thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions, an opportunity for you to get a seat at the table. Today we hear from Amelia Antonetti, who has an interview with Joel, the executive producer for over 10 years for The Biggest Loser. Make sure you're downloading, subscribing, and sharing out the Breakfast with Champions podcast so that you don't miss your opportunity to get a seat at the biggest breakfast table in the world. With that, let's grab a seat and let's join in on Breakfast with Champions. To my dear friend, Amelia Antoinetti. Are you here, my beautiful friend? Absolutely. I'm 100% here. And Good I'm so morning. Ex- Good morning. And so I'm so excited to introduce you today, because um, if you can hang on for a second, you and uh, the fabulous Mr. Brian, um, we have Joel with us today, who is the executive producer of The Biggest Loser. He was for 10 years. He was fundamental in that show. And I uh, How I, awesome I, is that? Right, exactly. And, and just with your transformation and um, and he's done a million and one shows. I, I mean, actually he really applied is. to be on that show twice. <laughs> there story. you go. There you go. But um, just, just you know, when you talk about trying to find uh, talent, you know, that is changing the conversation in entertainment. Um, I'm so excited that Randy was able to bring uh, Joel with us today. So good morning, Randy. Good morning, Joel. Hey, 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 hey. Um, and so, um, M- Michelle, thank you. Thank you, guys. I always like tuning in. You guys, uh, again, are motivating me. I'm, I'm with Brielle. Um, on this quest to slowly and steadily back off the COVID weight um, that I easily put on. I put on 45 pounds during COVID. It was a party over here, and I am slowly taking it off. Nowhere near where you are, Michelle. Um, but um, I, I'm also with Braille. I'm down 15. I've got 20-something to go, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in the grind. I'm in the grind. And I absolutely love, love, love both the Miracle Rice and the Miracle Noodles. And I'm an Italian, so let me tell you. I was like, I'm not eating that. There's no way. But um, it absolutely does trick your palate. So thank you for all your tips, Michelle. You are such an inspiration. Um, and I just I, I love following you guys. And so um, hopefully you guys can stay tuned a little bit. Um, Randy, Joel, good morning. Happy, fabulous Friday. I got to say something. So Joel won't say this. Guess what time zone Joel is in? Oh, I'm scared to ask. I'm oh, scared. my God. He's on the West Coast. We finally had a I was like, do you mind getting up at 430 in the morning? And he did not hesitate. He said yes. So. But Melzer, I mean, we've got Alpha 6 is on the West Coast. We've got a lot of people that join us um, from the West Coast, right? And so um, I thank you, Joel, very much for getting up the crack of dawn. I know you're barely even having coffee at this moment. Oh, my God. No, it's all good. I take a spin class at 6 in the morning. So when Randy told me, I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, I, so, Joel, I, I, I just, um, Randy, I'll let you take the lead. I just want to, first of all, I just want to thank you for your work. Uh, you don't know a lot about me, but I'm on this same type of mission that you are of really being able to change the conversation. Um, when you talk about your background, I was kind of giggling because I have the same thing, the Italian background where my parents said, you can be anything you want to be as long as it's a doctor, a lawyer, an MBA. And I was like, okay, that wouldn't be anything. <laughs> No, that was definitely my background. You know, growing up, it was really just be a doctor and nothing else. And I remember thinking, oh, geez, I do not like the sight of blood. This is not, not going to go well. I ended up getting in the, in the pre-med, but the, the uh, parental expectations, it was real. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to talk more about it in a bit. Well, and the other show that, that you did that I'm, I'm – and again, I'm talking about just things that are just so much aligned is the show that you did um, with Ashton Kutcher, Going From Broke. 
Um, you know, I'm a behaviorist, right? So I try to jump in on segments where people allow me anyway um, to really show where um, behavior is at the root of all problems, right? It's the behavior that you were exposed to that you then take on as your belief system and then you repeat it and teach it and practice it in your life. And so I'm always trying to show people that it isn't time or money or focus. It's always a behavior. And we learn them when we're young, especially a relationship we have with money, right, is a behavior. It's a learned skill set that limits your ability to scale because you're stuck in somebody else's belief system. So some of the shows that you've done is just phenomenal. And I love that you were like just charging forward in entertainment so young, like you're way before your time. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I, I believe that there's enough toxic content out there. And so I try to work on shows that are inspirational, transformational, uh, feel good. And I think when the pandemic started, there was really more reason for me to not just do shows that were entertaining, but also shows that were informative and raise awareness. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I try to do my part for sure. And those gotta do a little shout out. Real yeah, quick. go ahead, Brandy. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say real quick because I just saw uh, Recipe for Change, and so I have to. I'll say that a couple times. Uh, YouTube Originals already has like five hundred thousand views, which I think probably is quite high for YouTube Originals in a relatively short time on AAPI on this horrible situation with Asian hate. Uh, brilliant, very eye-opening documentary, and I congratulate you for that because I also know that mental health was really part. There's an element of mental health even in that show. Oh, listen, and I think mental health is one of our biggest obstacles that yep. we have. If you just take a look at what's going on, not just in the baby boomers, but the younger generation, the generations that are coming up, if you look at the impact that COVID has had on kids who were in elementary, junior high, and high school who lost two years of socialization, and now we're just throwing them back in, the depression, the suicide, the cutting all of these things are off the chart because we don't have the behavioral tools to help them heal from the isolation that has happened. And so I think mental health has to be more of the conversation um, because it's all around us. It's all around us. I mean, uh, especially now with the Delta happening, you know, we're, we're losing parents, we're used to losing loved ones, we're losing young people. Um, and so I just think we have to just lean in the conversation to really be able to be more supportive as a glue in our community. And the only way we can glue our community and our families together is if we have open dialogue to really understand where somebody is coming from. And that's why I love uh, Joel's work. People don't realize how hard it is to get a show greenlighted. Um, I've been behind the scenes in entertainment for 35 years behind some of the biggest shows that are out there. Um, and there are so many shows that never, ever, ever see the light of day because the system is so toxic. Yeah, I on, honestly, Recipe for Change, the last show I, I just did, uh, which is about the API community, so personal because, you know, Asian Americans are three times less likely to ask for mental health support to, compared to white Americans. And when it comes to men's mental health, you know, suicide rates, 75% of that is men. And so I'm trying to break that stigma. And this is me coming from uh, so, somebody who used to be severely depressed, uh, struggled with anxiety, uh, dealt with addiction. And so that's why on top of being an executive producer for television, I'm also the founder of a free mental wellness program called Change Your Algorithm. So I'm super proud of that. And Randy, thank you for the recipe for change shout out. We actually just got 
uh, greenlit for a second one. I can't say, I can't say what the second one is about just yet, um, but mental health is definitely a big part of it. So thank you, brother. Oh, I mean, I, I'm. <laughs> we sort of met. But I called his publicist actually originally and pitched another guest, and he has a really good publicist who came back and said, "Yeah, that's fine, but this is your guy." And I have just become so passionate about his work and was so happy to bring you on. What I find fascinating about your website, A, it's free, because that's so important that everybody have access to mental health. So change your algorithm, it's free. And then also that the fact that you keep algorithms, change your algorithm. Talk to me about how, how algorithms ended up in the name of a mental health website. Yeah. So when I was, as I mentioned, depressed, anxious, drinking two bottles of wine a night, this was, you know, gosh, for for years, it was a very duplicitous life. Uh, despite the fact that I was ex- experiencing success in my career or whatnot, there was a part of me that just felt like I wasn't good enough. And this became my algorithm, if you will. There, I told myself, and I say algorithm because when we think of the word algorithm, we just kind of abide by it. <laughs> we try to figure out the algorithm and we just go, ah, well, that's the algorithm. And that was the algorithm of my life was I felt like I was going to be depressed forever, that I'm always going to be anxious. I'm always going to be going to the liquor store secretly drinking. And then I reached a point where I told myself that enough was enough. And so I was able to ask for help. I checked myself into treatment or as what the kids call it, rehab. And I worked with therapists and I absolutely fell in love with therapy and mental health and how the mind works and the subconscious versus the conscious mind and how I have nothing to be ashamed of. And it wasn't until I got that help that I was able to change the algorithm of my life. And if you think of us as, you know, computers and whatnot, right? It's like, you know, phones, they need to sleep to recharge. They look for connection. They can store a ton of data. But when uh, phones, computers have a quote-unquote malfunction, they can reprogram themselves. What I didn't realize was that I was still functioning off of false, faulty data. And so imagine trying to use Windows 97 from your laptop. (laughs) It probably wouldn't be functioning that great. And I was still functioning off of false, faulty data of I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy, all of those things. And all I just needed a mental software upgrade and it wasn't until that happened that I you know, became sober, I became the most clear-headed I've ever been, uh, I began to tell myself more positive affirmations, and it was all through therapy. So that's what I compare it to, is an algorithm. And so, yeah, since I make my money off of being a television executive producer, I do not charge anyone for this mental health program because I spent $70,000 in treatment. I don't want anyone to have to spend that money. And so I got out of there thinking, all right, I'm going to come up with something 100% for free. And I'm proud to say we now have the largest team of volunteer therapists uh, in mental health. So I'm pumped for that. And if anybody is interested, if you click on my profile and go through the link to Instagram, it will send you to um, change your algorithm. And I think it's phenomenal, right? And as a behaviorist, you know, I, I have worked in this space for 35 years, you know, and people know me for build, building business. But I will tell you that when you make the connection for somebody on how, what good intentions, the adults in our life, very good intentions, um, what they told us and how they behave and their relationship with everything, time, money, focus, whatever, how we 
see that, we mimic that, and that becomes our belief system. Um, and you know, when you, I, I read a uh, very interesting article with Harvard Review that was talking about uh, men and men's relationship. And what they were saying is that most men do not have a best friend. And when you talk about minorities, Asians and African Americans, the, the number is so low, it doesn't even get to 1% because they did not learn how to have healthy male relationship and how much that male relationship is um, uh, life-changing for how a relationship happens with family and then spouses and then the community and so on and so forth. And it was staggering to me that um, this is a learned skill. It's a learned skill. And if you don't have it, you just, you don't even look for it. And then once you do get exposed to what these healthy relationships are and how those conversations of having a best friend are, um, it, it just was, it literally connected the dots on how it changes every relationship in your life, including your relationship with money and generational wealth. And so if you don't know that these tools or behaviors are needed in order to scale, then you don't even have that dialogue. And so I, that's why I love, 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 love your work. And I love the whole concept of changing your algorithm because that's really what it is. When you understand, you know, kids who are told, you know, no more often than they're told yes, um, how that then changes the trajectory of their career and their happiness and their relationships, it's all connected. 100%. And if you think about the things that, you know, um, we grow up hearing, right? It's offensive to all genders. It's like, boys don't cry, don't hit like a girl. And these are things that during the developmental stages of childhood, which is about what, zero to seven, you know, we program into our belief system. And so for me, I've been told a gazillion times, boys don't cry, don't hit like a girl. And so I started to create this belief that, okay, men aren't supposed to be emotional, that men must always be strong and vulnerability is not a strength. And that's put that women are supposed to be weaker because you're told not to hit like a girl. And it's not until I go, wait, what's going on? That's not true. Because all that stuff drove me, <laughs> drove me kind of bonkers. So uh, that's the awareness that I'm trying to raise is that you can change your belief system. If you do want a better life, you can absolutely have it. The comparison game is something that is very harmful and that we're, we're all equal here. Absolutely. And that's 100%, right? The the anytime you com compare anything, you're opening up a negative frequency. The, the minute that thought hits your head of, you know, I'm not as good as my brother and sister or that person has something that I don't have. The minute you open it up, you're opening up that negative frequency and it becomes the gateway to attract more negative. Um, and so. It, 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 it's a redeveloped thought process, right? You know, I always say when I get one of those, because we all get them, we get those thoughts in our head, you know, to be able to go, oh, no, cancel, cancel, you know, cancel that thought and replace it immediately with something positive, the opposite, until your brain learns to stay in the state of flow of attracting positivity. But it's not easy, especially when you come, like, again, I come from a large Italian family, um, 11 brothers and myself, um, and so... I was raised in such a competitive, you know, dog eat dog, you know, survival of the fittest type of environment. Plus, I'm pre-wired to be competitive as it is. I was an animal within my er er teens and 20s because I wanted to attack you before you would attack me. Now, some of those skills have been really great in the business uh, world, especially as being a woman um, early, early on when I started my businesses. Um, but they just just destroyed my relationship with self, destroyed relationship with my children and 
and with my partner and so on and so forth. So I had to rewire everything in my head to realize that not everything is a competition, right? And so it changes my relationships. Um, and I think so much of your work um, is just really needs to be highlighted so that people can see in real time how these changes have a um, just an incredible change across the trajectory. And I always like to demonstrate that when I change a behavior in mind, I can immediately measure it to their wealth generation, to how much more time they have, how their focus gets better um, from just one behavior modification. 100%. And I love that you mentioned the word competition, because for me, there I was extremely depressed, just trying to be better than other people, because I was in the comparison game. But it wasn't until I changed that, that I stopped trying to be, be better than other people. And I just tried being better than who I used to be. Being better than I used to be, meaning addicted to booze, anxiety, depression, all of that stuff. And so I think that's the work that we can put in as people to better ourselves and empower ourselves. I like to tell people that, you know, we're not our thoughts. We're actually the observer of our thoughts. And like, as you said, Amelia, it's tough, right, to challenge our thoughts. But I compare it to when we uh, are at the airport and we get our bags checked at TSA before we get in the plane. We have the ability to have mental security when it comes to our thoughts. Do not believe every single thought. You have the ability to play mental TSA and challenge those thoughts, question them. 85% of the things that we worry about aren't even real, and there we are spending our energy on worry. And so when we get a thought like you're not good enough, you're never going to be successful, challenge it, question it, write down meticulously why that negative false belief is absolutely not true. In fact, you're the opposite of that negative false belief. And because those, those thoughts turn into beliefs, and those beliefs are the things that we function off of and respond to the world by. I love that. And so I had... I mean, that was me, right? I mean, I think people, first of all, forget how many ways humans self-medicate. You know, drugs and alcohol are just one of a very long list on how people self-medicate. Um, it happens from food to shopping to addicted to work. I mean, addiction goes the gamut. And I really had um, a very toxic mindset. Um, and so I, I was asked early on, um, and again, therapy was a, was a big part of my younger years, and I think it's what drove me into uh, being a behaviorist, is I literally started the practice of saying what I was thinking and trying to say it to my best friend. So literally picturing in my head somebody that I loved and cared with and actually started to speak out loud what I was saying in my head. And it's horrific, right? And so I even got to the point where I would audio, audio record it, right? I would literally say outside, out loud. Hey, champions, guess what? The Breakfast with Champions podcast airs live every single day, 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. only on the Clubhouse app. So make sure to download Clubhouse and go check out Breakfast with Champions. You're not going to regret it. See you there. say, oh my gosh, the thoughts in your head, Amelia, are so, A, never, not even remotely realistic, right? But it able, was able for me to listen to myself to say, if that's what's going on in my head, there's no way you can be successful in that type of environment. And it's a very simple exercise. I teach it to my kids. I teach it to my other trainers to literally just record yourself, record the nonsense that's going on in your head and then listen to it. And not only do you see where you're derailing, but you also find those moments of brilliance, those ideas and thoughts that you have that are buried underneath the heaviness of the, of the negativity. 
I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and another thing too is, you know, in, inner child work, really. I realized when I was saying, ah, you're not good enough. You're always going to be alone. All of those things. I realized I was telling my six-year-old self that and my six-year-old self was really when the trauma began. And for people that, you know, think that trauma means that it has to be this big gigantic thing like you witness a crime or whatnot it doesn't have to be that trauma can be something totally uh almost silent right for me my trauma was that i had a mother who was going through divorce and a depression and when you're six you don't really know what that is all i knew was that she wasn't emotionally connected with me or giving me that you know physical love like the hugs and whatnot and for me, I created this belief that I wasn't good enough. And so it was that six-year-old who I had to connect with and really picture myself talking to, like you said, Amelia, where I'd go, wait a minute. If someone saw me in the street telling a kid that you're not good enough, all these things, like you would call social services or the cops on that kid. And that's basically what I was doing. And so now I picture that six-year-old, and we were all adorable children here. So think about that because those things that you're telling yourself are also the same things that you're telling your inner child. And I'm such a big fan of inner child work. It totally changed my life. Joel, I got to know, we're talking about thought. And you had to have two major moments. Something happened to cause you to say, no, enough. No more drinking. I'm going to take care of myself. You had to have that moment. And I want to know what that moment was like. Then you had to have another moment that said, no. I'm living, I dare I say, a selfish life, and I don't really, you know, I'm going to live a selfless life. I'm going to help other people. I'm going to start this website. What were those moments like? How did that happen? Yeah, the moment of, all right, I need to stop drinking was really the moment of, oh, my gosh, this is getting worse. And I really came to the understanding that I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a problem that I was treating with drinking. And what addiction is really is we're trying to self-regulate, self-medicate, all of that stuff. What it is really is that a lack of coping skills. And we're just trying to turn to something that we know about. And it wasn't until I learned all of these other coping skills, like actually going inward, meditating, journaling about my thoughts, facing my traumas, and the biggest one yet, replacing self-judgment with self-compassion. And once I started to have compassion towards myself, I also started to have compassion towards other people. We can change as soon as we change ourselves we can be able to change how we perceive the world and there i was trying to seek exterior validation just trying to work on more shows trying to gain more money you know get the porsche get the bigger house all of that stuff but it was all just trying to fill up this void that i felt like i was really empty in and it turns out that void that i was really empty in that happiness that i was looking for it was an inside job it honestly felt like I was at the mall <laughs> and that you see that arrow saying, you are here. Well, that's where happiness is, you know? And it's something that I used to think was so cheesy, but it really is an inside job. And as soon as I figured that out, Randy, I started to be able to give back to other people. And when I found myself helping other people, I found that I was also helping me. And it really is such a powerful thing to understand that compassion, there is a reciprocity in this. And that's 100%. So, you know, when I, again, I'm always going to go back to the behavior part. I can't, can't help it. If you want to uh, build anything in your life stronger, if you want to build in a new habit, if you want to build in a new mindset, the strongest way to do it is to teach it to someone else, right? That the minute I say, okay, I've got my sights set on something totally different, right, that I don't know, I that I don't have a natural kind of cadence for yet, 
what I do is I get a mentor who's already practicing what it is that I'm trying to mimic. And at the same time, I teach it while I'm learning it. And what it does is it starts to rewire stronger in a shorter period of time by connecting those dots together. And I think that, you know, so much of, of your work, um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm still just baffled that you actually got some of these shows to air because I know how difficult it is because the, you know, inner networks really don't want to talk about broke and a lot of these other topics. Absolutely. Sorry, I just had to mute someone who was, I think, unmuted. Um, yes, 100%. And I'm happy to say I just sold a mental health show because there isn't enough mental health awareness out there. And these are the things that we really need to talk about. And look, I'll be honest. The reason why um, a lot of these shows it's tough to sell, it's because it's quote-unquote not sexy, right? It's so much easier to watch things that are shiny and, you know, doesn't really – take brain cells to watch but it's we're living in a time in this world where there is so much heavy stuff going on we at least deserve to know the coping skills necessary to get through this heavy stuff we need to at least know that there's other people that are going through the same things that we're going through feeling alone and i think gosh three out of five americans um, have reported to feeling alone and loneliness can be something that can be very harmful if we really get caught up in the um, beliefs. When we tell our stories and other people go, oh my gosh, that's what I have, am going through or have gone through, that's the thing. Like Vulnerability is the ultimate Wi-Fi for me because that is what keeps us connected. I don't think that you know the world needs any more uh, quote-unquote successful people or whatnot because I don't know what their intentions are. But I do think that the world needs more people that are compassionate, that are changing their behaviors, that are changing their algorithm of their lives, all of that. So, Joel, I'm going to go back to selfish versus selfless. And selfish, I, I, I'm using a sort of more of a materialistic mindset. How did it change your life to move from selfish to selfless? What's that balance? How do you, because you're still producing television that's meant to make money. How, how do you achieve that balance in your life between doing your work and helping others? Me, the mental health Robin Hood, and I laughed so hard. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was accurate or what. But yes, the money that I make as an executive producer, uh, you know, a good amount of that goes to this mental health program to be able to provide free mental health support. I still have enough money to, you know, live a good life, buy dog food for my two adorable dogs, um, but also use some of that money to go to this free mental health program. Um, and that's all through advertising. And we're starting one in Italy, Amelia. So I got to definitely chat with you about that. It's called Cambia el Tuo Algoritmo. Um, and back to Amelia's point about uh, being able to help others and you get help in return i cannot practice what i preach unless i'm actually doing it you know like i, I there's the, everything that i talk about comes from my own personal experience when i talk about these lessons these things that i've learned that have not just changed my life but saved my life when i talk about them it gives me accountability so being selfless is something that also gives me something in return when it comes to the help and support that i need because when i tell my story 
um, it really helps others. And it reminds me of where I've come from. I think a lot of times we as people, you know, we'll accomplish something and we go, all right, great, what's the next thing? When it comes to mental health, it's so important to remind ourselves of how far we've come. You know, I got to talk about the practice of forgiveness for self-forgiveness, how powerful it is. I got to talk about setting boundaries. I got to talk about the, the art of gratitude. I got to talk about toxic relationships and all of that because it's easy to forget, you know, and when it comes to reprogramming the mind back in the change of algorithm, it is repetition plus emotion. So it's important for me to be repetitive when it comes to doing the behaviors that I want to stick to, the skills that I want to remember, all of that. And when it comes to emotion, it has to come from a place that was really personal for me. I don't just read a book and then talk about it, or I don't go on Google and say, well, I learned this on Google. It's literally personal experiences and I put it in repetition. And that is how you know I've been able to change my behavior. And I think that you're nailing that on the head there, right? It's practice, 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 where it becomes your ritual, right? I am committed to the rituals that keep me in place to become the best version of myself. I'm constantly a work in process so that when I know better, I start to do, do better. But when you study um, highly successful people from all genres, whether it's music or sports or entertainment, you know, business world, finance world, they have rituals, right? You know, Glenn who's the founder of Breakfast with Champions, he is adamant about your morning routine because your morning routine sets the tone and the trajectory of the entire day. But there's pivot points throughout the day that you can lean back into your routine to reset. You don't have to have the day go to heck in a handbasket, right? You can stop and go, okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's regroup here, right? Let's recharge and realign. Now, I must do that for myself literally eight or nine times a day to reset because I live in a world of crisis, right? So I'm always dealing from one crisis to another crisis to another crisis. I always say that as the CEO of our lives, the thing that lands on our plate is the thing that nobody in our lives can figure out, right? We deal with problem after problem after problem. Many crises is what's happening. And so if you don't have a ritual to reset yourself that aligns you with your goals and your objective, what kind of human you want to be, how you want to show up, how you want to speak to people, then you're leaving it to default. And anytime you leave it to default, you're going to waste your time, energy, and money because you're not hitting that straight line bullseye. You're kind of zigzagging left and right. And so all of the stuff that you're talking about, there's enough evidence in the world to say that this is the pathway to what so many people want to talk about. The issue is, is that it's not visibly available. You can't really tune in to watch somebody in the before and the after to see the actual struggle. We only hear the highlight reels that we see on Instagram, which is like the best versions of our life, right? Not what was actually happening day in, day out. And so I like to watch people, uh, let them watch me fail, right? To see where I'm struggling, to see not just the successes, but to see the things that developed my rituals into where I'm going because it's in every fall that created a behavior that gives me the strength to rise higher. And so I think that collectively, this is what's so important. Um, and I just want to make one other point is, um, so MK is also here on stage. He's one of our Genius Key trainers, and he and I are committed 
to bringing music therapy um, back into our school systems, right? We removed the arts, which was the biggest uh, of many uh, things that we've done. And so MK, a bunch of artists, myself, a lot of the trainers are committed to that every child in this country, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, will have access to the arts because music um, is a gateway that that allows us to come together in a place of healing uh, when done correctly. And so tackling mental health is is a absolute passion of mine and so many other people on the stage so that we can heal together. First of all, we've got to work together because I want to do a music therapy show. <laughs> so many ideas just came to mind, Amelia. We have a list of artists already, literally a list of artists. We are not waiting for some organization to lean in to provide for our children access to the arts. We are bringing art back into any school. Any child who wants access, we will do that. We are at a position um, in our world and our lives that we bound together that pro parts of our proceeds go directly to help children. We cannot wait any longer. Our communities must be healed from the inside collectively as a unit. So we literally at the Genius Institute, we consider ourselves glue. We go back to glue in the family, the relationships, the communities, and we use our own resources. So absolutely. MK, I know you're here somewhere as well if you want to chime in. Hi. Um, MK is um, voice rest um, from last night, but he sends his blessings. No worries. No worries at all. Thank you, though. Thank you for having him tune in. Um, you know, I know he's been recording. I know he's been in and out of studios. He's just uh, Glenn and I were happy to be able to hear him sing the national anthem here just a couple of weeks ago. But I'm definitely going to connect because the list of artists that have come out to say, listen, we're going to lean in as a community so that there isn't a child out there who feels alone. Um, there's something that music and art does to touch like our inner spirit and it allows us to come together collectively in a very neutral setting, right? It, it, it has no biases, it brings people together. And so that is just becomes a gateway that leads people into the behavioral tools, the algorithm that you're talking about to reset and to realize that you're not alone. I think what happens is we forget that as humans, the fundamental need of all humans is connection. Without connection, we die. We literally die, uh, more so than food and anything else. And when we're, when we're raised in an atmosphere that isolates us without, again, no intentions, our parents did the best that they could, no intentions, but their passion for us to succeed, their language isolated us from everybody else. And without learning the behaviors to actually really connect with other people, we live in this, this soloness, this, this solo mindset, this island of I must do this, I must succeed for my family, I, 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 I. And that I-centric mindset is our destruction because we are built and wired for we. We together rise. We can only rise as the weakest link. So we've gotta go in to help repair the link and oftentimes, uh, push and paw, prod and help them move along the way and then they turn around and then pull and push somebody else so that together we stay together as a community. I love that and I do love that you brought up you know how we start our day and just the intentionality involved with that you know me coming from entertainment you know if you think about it it's like that first five seconds of a song the first minute of a tv show the first five minutes of a movie that is going to determine what the tone of the song, TV show, or movie is. 
And every single person here has the power to control like what is your life going to be about? What is a song of your life going to be about? What's a TV show of your life going to be about? What's a movie of your life going to be about? And how we start our day is really everything, right? And we have to find that purpose. And we, when people tell me, you know, well, I just don't want to be sad or I don't want to be, you know, a failure, I go, you got to get more specific. If you were to put an address in your GPS system, the directions are not going to be don't make a left, don't make a right, don't go straight. You have to be very, very direct in where it is that you want to go and you can get there. And that really all starts with how we started our day, you know? And then, as you said, we forget. So what we can do consciously to remind the 90 to 95% of our subconscious of what our purpose is, what fulfillment is, what we can actually do with our lives, and that is empowering. And I think something that we can also use as a tool is that curiosity. The curiosity of going, wow, I'm becoming better, or whoa, I'm actually getting better at this skill, or whoa, those pandemic pounds going away, right? We have the power to get better. We don't have to succumb or you know, basically just sit with something that we're not happy with because that's when things become our negative algorithm. You know, Again, we can change our algorithm. And so here's another sad statistic, right? So curiosity dies at fourth grade. It is now at fourth grade kids are learning that they have to just conform, right? They have to just lean in and start following the rules and be quiet and just follow along. And it's, it just literally the curiosity dies when they did side by side, um, focus groups of kids that are in second grade, third grade, and fourth grade. And what happens is as the brain is developing right around that same time, kids start to believe why bother? Why bother? Nobody's listening. Why bother? I, I won't get the grades. I won't get those measurables that society is measuring me on if I don't just follow suit. And it starts to die. It's why if you look over the last 20 years, we used to lose, lose our youth in high school. Then it became junior high. It is now at fourth grade where their language goes, I just better might as well just do what I'm told because that's the only way out. And it's so, so sad. And then knowing the things that we've taken out of our school system, where curiosity was groomed, right, in our arts, in our sports education, in those extracurricular activities that we've removed to focus on the STEM part of it without realizing that your left and right side of your brain are connected. If you don't feed one side, the other side will die. I have to say something. I'm exploding here. I am my arts education, Amelia, and you know that. Um, I, I would my, my ability to communicate uh, in person on <laughs> Clubhouse as a writer, all of that was taped from a theater class, from a speech class. Anytime you give children an opportunity to get together and create a product that they present for another group of people, we are feeding their communication skills. So I and I it's missing, to, Randy. It's a huge it's, part of my platform. Right. And, and that, right. And it, it, right. But you, you and I were raised in a different era. Right. It's missing mm-hmm. from the school system or it's looked down upon. They're like, oh, drama is not a class. This is my theater is not a class. Art is not a class. It's not recognized to understand it is the amplifier that allows the analytical side of your brain to function. Right. It's my natural part of my routine where I have curiosity is ingrained in my daily routine that allows me to be so successful on my strategy and my financial side, right? But if I got rid of my creativity, I would limit my ability on the other side. And when we don't teach the skill, then young people don't develop that side of their brain. 
my theater classes taught me how to understand human behavior, period, because that's you, you blatantly study it. You blatantly study that. And I'm constantly there is no expiration date on creativity. And I'm fighting for it all the time. And I'm about to be 59 years old and I will continue to fight for it because I've seen too many people continue to create incredible things well past fourth grade. That's a horrifying statistic, but well past fourth grade. I didn't know that statistic, so thank you so much oh, it's, uh, for it's, that. It's, it's like that. shocking. It, it, yeah, it's a white paper. It's one of the white papers that just came out of, um, I believe, MIT. Don't quote me on that one, though. But was, you know, I'm always reading, because I'm a behaviorist, I'm always reading every single thing that's coming out about technology and its impact on our brain and on neuroscience. I'm always, I'm always talking just really about what's going on in behavior, and then I try to create a, a tool that allows somebody to quickly um, start pivoting a behavior that they choose doesn't work, has nothing to do with me. You choose what works and doesn't work for you. But when you decide something isn't working for you, there isn't an easy way to access. So what do I do about it? Okay, so now that I know, now what do I do, right? I would say action, will, um, and then awareness, right? First you have to be, a, I'm sorry, the other way around. Awareness, will, and action. Awareness that there's something that's not working for you. Be willing to say, I'm going to lean in to be uncomfortable to then do something different to develop a new skill. And then the action steps that you need to take in order to start slowly pivoting to a new rewiring of the brain, right? And it takes about, people say 21, it's actually 28 days. 21 days for you to start doing the routine, your body will then give you a test. Something is going to slap right into your life that's going to tempt you to go back to your old thinking if you can push through, which is the other two, to the 28 days, more that 30-day mark, to practice the new skill. But your body will test you, right, to say, your subconscious will, will you choose the old tool that's been around for 20, 30 years, or will you lean into? It's a test, and most people don't make it through that test, and that's why we revert back to the old behavior. It really is interesting because when it comes to old behaviors, addictions, and whatnot, just because it is familiar, our body will still go back to it or think, well, maybe we should go back to it. But you're right. You're absolutely right. It is the uncomfortable that we should lean into because that's where the change happens, right? I, it's either evolve or repeat. Go ahead, Randy. Joel, I just I told you that I was watching Recipe for Change. I had a moment that I was going to talk about. I really get concerned, even with my podcast, and I say this, I would almost rather somebody turn off my podcast and go do something, take action, than continue to listen and do nothing. I had a moment watching the show that I really have to talk about because it is about behavior. You have a, a, an Asian-American population on the show, and you had allies. And I'm, I'm hearing the allies contribute to this discussion, white people supporting their friends, and I would have considered myself up until I watched your show to be an ally, and I went, you know what? Living a colorblind life, which I believe I do, supporting anyone and accepting anyone for who they are, which I believe I do, really doesn't make me an ally. What makes me an ally is going on a show like Recipe for Change and speaking up on behalf of these people what makes me, and I think, Joel, the fact that I can't get away from you since we met and that, you know, we continue to talk and I put you on this show, maybe I'm actually on my way to being an ally as opposed to an accepting person. 
I don't think those are the same thing. Oh, you're hit that right on the head there, Randy, for sure. Most people, I mean, this is a big topic, right? Because they are like, well, because I'm not contributing, then I'm an ally. Uh, no, you're not. You're not actually helping the cause whatsoever because there's no action. There's no action, right? Ally and action, the reason why they both start with an A is that you have to have action of anything that you believe. And if you're trying to counter momentum into the opposite direction, then you even have to be more adamant and, 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 and uh, insistent on it. Because any one group cannot solve that problem without the other group. So it doesn't matter what minority problem is, without the support of everyone, the change will not take place. So it's everybody's responsibility to fix and to correct what is wrong. Um, Joel, you want to? I know you want to climb in here. Yeah. First of all, I just want to like give a physical hug to both of you because that is so spot on. That is so accurate and so true. And truthfully, it is the actions that we take. It's not just about saying like, yes, I'm friends with someone who's Asian, Latin or black or what have you. It is about those actions because the truth of the matter is, is that we're all in this together. Just because you think that it's just a problem for this type of person or that type of person. Well, that's when real problems happen because without that, we don't have the solidarity. And the solidarity here goes beyond race. It's just really about being human and going through all of this. We're literally all in a pandemic together, you know, a racial revolution, all of that. And this is all, you know, our problem. And with the problems come solutions. And that's only something we can find when we come together. And hey, Bernita, I see you flashing, girlfriend. Come right on in. All right, thank you, Amelia. Grand Rising and Grand Rising Joel. This is Bernita Dell tapping in. You know, I'm, I'm over here flashing my mic like crazy just because my jam. Jack came forward has increased its sales by over 136%. My name is Travis Flaherty. We have seen over 55% increase in sales. Jeremy Nally here. We finished our month off at not even a 20% increase, but Thirty percent increase. Hey guys, Jean Paul Gidry here. Now I've experienced massive increases of one hundred fifty-six percent, collectively one hundred twenty-five percent. My name is Kevin Sturrisnatter. We went an increase of fifty percent. Fifty percent. We went from fifty units to seventy-five units. So we got a thirty-nine percent growth in volume. This stuff works. I'm Glenn Lundy, creator of the Eight Hundred Percent Club. The results that we've been getting out of the 800% Club are ridiculous. Everything that you just heard all happened in the first 90 days. So I wanna open this up, helping more dealers across the country. We're now enrolling for 800% Club members. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. and anti-racism space uh, as a consultant and amongst other things. And I just wanted to point out how powerful the storytelling is. Uh, thank you, Amelia, for bringing this, this conversation to the table today, and I, I would love to have more of them like this. But the storytelling that Randall just did in terms of you know coming to the stage and coming in front of 500 people and saying, this is where I was and this is where I am now, and this is what the journey it took for me to see that what I thought was okay was actually causing more harm. And that to get to the point of recognizing that the action, that actively being an ally requires actively working against the marginalization 
is a powerful story. And so for anyone out there who is doing the work to be an ally uh, in, in many spaces, and you know, in particular in the anti-racism space, is that as you start to have realizations, tell those stories. And uh, I was excited. I spoke with one of my clients last night, and he's just finishing How to Be an Anti-Racist by uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi. And he himself, a, a seasoned 60-something-year-old white executive, uh, had the same, drew the same conclusion. He said, wow, I've been making the mistake my whole life of thinking that I was doing the right thing by being colorblind. And he's now taking the action to be an active ally. Thank you for this conversation, Bernita Dunspeaking. And I love the storytelling part. And obviously, Joel, that has been a God-given gift of yours because you have an art for storytelling. You know, we talk about here on stage so often about how, you know, we have to start to develop the confidence in each of our own stories and then being able to really lean in to really connect with other people's story. And I think that that's the fundamental base of entertainment that we've really moved away from. How, how do you keep yourself in that mindset of being able to tell a great story? What, what can we learn from you in that storytelling space? It really has to come from a personal space, right? They say, like, write what you know. And I think for me, when I avoided my emotions, I noticed that my creativity, my curiosity started to die out. But when I leaned into the uncomfortable and I started to actually explore those emotions, those places with that, I felt like, oh, it's too painful. Well, that is where the power actually lies. We're actually, you know, we're strongest in the places where we think we are broken, Right. And those are the places that have the best stories that can change your life, that can change the world, all of that. So all of these shows that I work on, these stories that I tell, it's really a reflection of something within me that's that wants to speak up, you know. And then when I find that within other people that go, yes, I have that story. I'm like, let's tell that story. You know, and then when we tell that story, other people watch. And so for people here that think like, well, you know, no one's going to want to hear my story. I guarantee you every single person here has a story to tell. And it doesn't have to be done through media. It can be done through other ways through your career. Because there, I mean, like as Randall was talking about with um, theater and whatnot, that really helps understand, you know, helps him understand what emotion is, human behavior, all of that. Because that's what's authentic about us and through that authenticity comes a lot of creativity and so tapping into the places that is really uncomfortable where you feel like you're broken you're not you're strongest in places there so just remember that well and i think it's listening to stories that you don't typically listen to on my podcast i've worked really hard to invite people to come on with different backgrounds who have different stories so i continue to be exposed to them i just saw my friend steve come in the room who's a publicist and publishing and he's like pitching pitches books to me to talk to authors and two times now i've like wow i know nothing about that subject i know nothing about that person i would not normally read that genre book yeah yeah i'm going to talk to that person and, and I it's think just that embracing that really the fact that i'm going to have a conversation with somebody even when i don't know a thing and i'll tell them amelia knows that if i don't know anything i'll just say i don't know anything teach me and i think that that what joel's quote is i mean i'm just i just wrote it down right the strongest of our areas are the areas where we think we're broken. I think that that's really important for us to hear today, to just take a moment to say it is the areas that we are the most ashamed of, the most scared of, we feel the most just discombobulated in, that it is in exactly that area 
where our strength and our genius derives from. The area that we're avoiding is actually the area we're supposed to be leaning into. Absolutely. And you know what? Our emotions, that it, it's, it's really trying to tell us something. The depression was trying to tell me something. The anxiety was trying to tell me something. The addiction was trying to tell me something. And for me, I define empowerment. Empowerment to me is when I find gratitude in the things that I used to be shameful of. Because once I acknowledged those emotions and tried to actually listen to whatever it is it was trying to tell me, that's when my life changed. It's often the things that we try to run away from, resist, numb, escape. Those are the things that are just going to hunt us down, right? It's either you deal with it or it deals with you type of thing. And it wasn't until I said, all right, depression, okay, anxiety, all right, addiction, what is going on? And it was that inner work that really changed my life. And I kid you not, I became much more creative. First of all, I've been sober ever since. And now I have like more money, more energy, more clarity. And creatively, I'm like, let's go. I now have a million new ideas for shows. I now have a mental wellness company that I'm running that I never thought I would be in that industry that I'm running for free. And it's all funded from the creativity that I'm making money on in entertainment. So it really is so powerful. Well, before we, I want to be able to, we've got a lot of amazing, incredible blondes here on stage. I mean, some people that I just deeply, deeply respect and admire. Um, and so if, if you would like to chime into this conversation, I mean, I think it is so important for us to bound together. Um, I'd love to welcome somebody in. Mark, are you, are you flashing? Are you there? Vocal rest for this. Break the vocal rest for this. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm supposed to go to the doctor at 145 to have an assessment, but this is just too, too valuable. This conversation is too valuable. So, just to touch on what you, what the gentleman said, we share something in common. I respect what you said earlier about alcohol wasn't the um the problem. The the problem was something else, and you used alcohol to um to pacify it. I agree. I I I'm right there with you. I could know that that spoke to me much as I was in the same position. Music therapy, though, I had to revisit. Music therapy, like what you said a million, sometimes you have to um, like uh, reset yourself. With music therapy, I did that for myself, and um, it, it I applied, I, I reset and applied new valuable things in my life, things to be happy about, things to you know, new inspiration. Sometimes you have to motivate yourself and find new inspirations, and I did. Surrounding myself around the right people, getting away from certain um, from, from certain uh, environments that didn't work for me. Um, but music therapy and having it, you know, help children, like I know you mentioned earlier, people with uh, mental illness. Like I have a song called Don't Feel Lost. Sean Paul, Grammy Award winner, you know, he jumped in the music video with me. We amplified it, released it on, you know, during Mental Health Awareness Month to help people, you know, you know, um, dealing with the pandemic. We, we saw how suicides were going up. We saw how domestic violence was going up. All these things were happening. So... I had to break my silence just for this conversation real quick. Not going to be too long-winded, but congratulations on such a valuable segment. This is this. I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, um, devouring this 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 valuable fruit <laughs> that's being passed on through our ears today. And I just wanted to break my silence. This this was worth me doing. So of course, I'm not yet, you know anything for you, but this this conversation is just so valuable. And I just want to say praise to you know you changing the narrative in your life and realizing that you didn't have an addiction. You just had, you know, you used a, a, a certain vice to actually pacify it 
And we have to use that same analogy and apply it to our lives with other things too. We don't have to, we don't have to like uh, say, okay, there's a problem with you. I am the problem. No, it's not, you're not the problem all the time. There's a problem that's, that you're dealing with. You just have to figure out how to fix it, whether if it's the music therapy, whether if it's through sports, whether if it's whatever, like you, you, you chose the mental health awareness path, just applying something else different to your life. You know, you are not the problem. You have to learn to fix the problem. I like what you said. So I have to break my, you know, my break for that. With that, I'm going. Blessings, everyone. Thank you, MK. Um, awesome. I saw somebody else flashing their mic. I'm trying to look at the same time. Kidder, hi, Kidder. Good morning. Hey. Oh, my gosh. I wanted just to say this is this is an amazing topic. Real quick, my daughter, when um, her dad left, she poured into playing drums and um and that was just an amazing thing that through through that mental illness part of of the loss you know of him being gone she poured into um playing the drums and it was awesome and she was probably one of the top drummers in the school so i do believe in it i do believe in all everything and amelia thank you for having this space and i'll just go i'm done speaking good morning Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Peter. We, we, we love your support. We know you come in from the West Coast, too. So we really appreciate our West Coast uh, people who jump, join in here every day with Breakfast of Champions from 5 a.m. And now I believe we're going to 7 p.m. Um, but uh, I, uh, Kermit, I also saw that you jumped in. Did you? And I'm probably saying this wrong. I and Peter is straight fire, just so everybody knows. Peter's amazing. She's incredible. We love our Pitter. We absolutely love our Pitter. Thank you, Mr. Glenn. I don't know if you wanted to say anything here. Um, I, I definitely think that Joel is something that uh, we should all lean into his work and what he's doing in entertainment, the TV shows, the stuff that he's done. Everybody knows I do a lot of stuff with NBC. Um, he's really just changing the game and the conversation by bringing these TV shows out. Um, so, Glenn, if you, there's anything you'd like to say, please, it's your show. And Go ahead, Brielle. I've been I've been flashing, but I'll wait, and then I'll go after you. Thank you so much. All I'll say is uh, we'll connect with Joel. I'll connect with Joel offline, Amelia. <laughs> no no worries, sir. I want to respect the fact that you're on vacation. Um, and, Brielle, I'm so sorry. My sister, I didn't even see you flashing. This shows you how bad I am at being able to look and talk. No. It's totally okay. Yeah, no, you know, my flash, that's why I waited. It was, like, a long time ago. Um, so I know I'm circling back, but something that I just wanted to say as, um, in totality of the room and the segment and the conversation, um, my flash was in the very beginning when we were talking about friendships. I thought that that was really an impactful, uh, share, but all in all for the entire segment, you know, Amelia, sometimes you have segments that are really hard to, um, digest right? Hard to digest in a way where it makes uh, many people possibly feel uncomfortable and in a good way, right? And so what I wanted to say really, not just about the segment, but to the room was I wanted to commend the room because right now there are, you know, 475, 500 people in here listening and learning and evolving, right? From a mindset and from a behavioral standpoint, We've all made a, a very clear decision to digest the information and to hear uh, different viewpoints and different opinions about things that we might not have recognized before. And I think that that is something for me 
that is just pivotal about Breakfast of Champions, but also about specifically your segment and this segment in particular. The idea that it can make us feel so you guys losing brielle or just me <laughs> we no, I, her. i'm losing her too brielle you've gone robot on us magical i know it's magical and amazing and i just can't hear her so brielle yes we absolutely we lost you but i think yes i think what is more of a blessing for us to take away from today is that this is a community of just amazing, incredible people who are leaning in every day to be our highest and best self. And even though conversations may trigger us or may be slightly uncomfortable, we're all united by one big heart, right? To be able to come together to make change and to become the best world we can possibly be together. And that's the space that Glenn has created for us here at Breakfast with Champions. I love our core values. I love the fact that we're all superhumans. And Joel, I have to just say, I am I'm so honored to have you today. Thank you for getting up at the crack of dawn. Um, I'm heading to the West Coast as we speak. Um, so I'm literally going to hunt you down. The lunches, the dinners, all of it. Yes, please. Awesome. And I'm going to be respectful because... Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.